Good morning. It's good to see everybody and welcome to service this morning. I know after last night, some people will be coming in late. I know it was a late night last night. For those of you who came to the spring dinner, we had a wonderful time. And uh, we're already looking forward to one in the fall. We're putting pressure on people so that we can uh, do that. Well, we want to celebrate, my wife and I, our, our victory in the newlywed game. Uh, I really believe that Jim Palmer was whispering the whole time for no other reason, for no other reason than he could whisper the answers to her without you getting concerned. So, but Jim and Paula were our newlywed champions, so it was good to, to have that. We had a lot of fun. We appreciate those of you who came. Uh, we do have a few announcements you'll see that are in there. Most of them deal with the upcoming service with Easter. Um, so please mark that. We did put the, the early service is going to be at 7, uh, I think, or 6.30. We didn't put an exact time, folks. That's called the sunrise service. And someone said the sun rises at like 6.30 that morning. So if you're wanting to do a sunrise service, uh, raise your hand. That's what I thought. I, I figured that's where we would be. No, we, we will give you a time as we get that put together. We'd like to try to do it early enough that those of you who come, sometimes we have coffee and some things together so that you can just stay for the later service. But our normal service will be at 930, just like normal. Uh, we will not have the Sunday school service afterward. Easter is our day that we have our morning service. And then the rest of the day, we encourage you to be with your family, friends, and those that are here. So... Please note that uh, in the bulletin as well. So all of our Sunday school teachers and things, please note as we're going forward, we'll probably have a meeting up and coming for the summer uh, as we begin to plan already for the fall and the materials. And if you're interested in helping in our Sunday school classes, please let us know. We're always needing help, and especially in our children's classes for subs. We have teachers that are willing to teach, but sometimes if someone's out, we need someone to come in. We always like to have two in a room. And so if you're willing to be one of those subs to help out when we need someone, please let us know uh, because it's very important so that the children can continue to, to meet. We would hate to have to stop and combine and do things every time someone's gone for the summer. And so we need a lot of help to be a part of that. Um, so you'll see the other announcements in there. And in a little bit later this, this morning, I'll pray for all of our prayer requests that are there. And so we'll have some time together in prayer. But Let's take a moment as we call ourselves to worship this morning. If you'll stand with me, I'll read the light print. If you'll join together with me in the bold print as we call ourselves from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Amen. If you'll let me lead us to the throne of grace and then you join me in the Lord's Prayer. It's printed there in your bulletin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do this morning come before you as we open our hearts and our minds and ask your Holy Spirit uh, to interpret the words, to interpret your scriptures, and allow us to understand more completely, more fully, just how it is that you love us, how it is that you've come to save us, and how it is that we can be made right with you. Lord, we do pray for Loren and the loss of Keith and their family uh, overcoming the funeral yesterday. We just pray for comfort, peace, uh, all that is necessary in their family as they transition in this time of her life. Lord, we do pray for Phil and Karina as they continue uh, to raise support and they continue to meet new people and find new vision for their ministry in Spain uh, that you will continue to guide and direct them. For continued healing for Dan, uh, Lord, and also for Sheila, the strength to be able to minister to him and to continue the daily needs while he's healing. 
We pray for the little fields and the continued healing for Dick and for Donna to be able to be his support and to be there to love and to still nurture and nourish that relationship. We pray for Bill and Kim as they're traveling and continued treatment for uh, Bill and his cancer. We pray for Harley and Carol, Lord, that you'll continue to help Harley with his strength and walking and for Carol. Uh, Lord, let us minister to her and all that she has done for a lengthy period to care for him, that we might care for her and give her help in time of need as well. We do pray for Jim Brock's brother. We pray for Beth Bauer's mother and for Ellen Mignoni's sister. Father, we just lift all of these up this morning, especially as people have asked for prayer. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where it groans for needs. Your spirit knows what is needed, even though we don't. And yet, Lord, you know more than anything, we need to come into your presence. We need to be touched in your presence in that place that only Jesus could open for us. It is there that we could pray together as a church saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to turn with me to page 846 in your hymn book. As we have the privilege to confess this morning the Nicene Creed. At youth group, when I have everybody turn to a page in the Bible, I have everybody give me a signal when they're there. All right, thumbs up. Mm. Sounds good. All right, I will ask the question, what do you believe? And then we'll all read and recite together. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now I invite you to turn back to your bulletin for our confession of sin. Let's 
Let's pray this prayer out loud together. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us of our intentional and unintentional sins, the sins of our soul and the sins with our body, our secret and our whispering sins, our presumptuous and our careless sins, the sins we have done to please ourselves and the sins we have done to please others. Forgive us the sins that we know and the sins that we know not. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And we have God's promise this morning from Hebrews 9. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. When your conscience, when my conscience tells me that there is no hope, that we've gone too far, God's voice in heaven, amen in Jesus, says, you are forgiven, you're my child, and keep living this life until I return. So be encouraged and be assured that your sins are forgiven as you look to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask those who will be receiving this morning's offering, helping us out, please come forward while I pray for the offering. Father, thank you that we are gathered together in worship, and this too is part of worship, to give a portion back to you what you've given to us. So Lord, bless these gifts, bless this worship, and continue, Lord, to work in and through us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask as we study your word that, Lord, again, as we dive into the depths of your teachings about your will and your providential care, that you would just give us a glimpse of those truths this morning as we study election. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and I hope you brought your Bibles with you so that you could follow along this morning. We've been 
studying several of the different doctrines of salvation as we are approaching Easter in hopes that all of us will have a better understanding of the whole process of what it means to be saved. Now, I didn't mean that to pick a series because I didn't think you were truly saved. I wasn't trying to pick on any one person and how you live and trying to challenge whether or not you truly were saved. But I thought it would be important for us as we live in a generation that salvation has become so simple, which it should be, but at the same time, it's become very easy which means now salvation many times has been stripped of some of its characteristics in which God in Scripture says we must have in order to truly be saved. And if you're not truly saved, you have a hard time finding assurance and comfort through the events that happen in life. Because if it's tied to emotions, then it's very easy for sometimes to feel good with God and then bad with God, saved with God and then apart from God, close to God and then far from God went to the training evangelism conference for the Billy Graham crusade up and coming this past weekend. It was nice to see many there, and I didn't want to be critical of it, but as one of the questions was asked, well, how do you know that you're saved? One of the questions was phrased by one of the people, when you're canvassing the people who've made decisions, and they've made a decision for Christ, and how do you know when one of the ladies made the comment, because you can feel it within you. And I turned to my daughter, Amber, and I said, that is partially true. Because you can feel the Holy Spirit in you. But oh, we must be very careful. Because sometimes the devil has a way to work into our hearts. And you can feel right with God many times when you're not. You can feel like you're doing the right things even if you're not. There's much more to being saved. And it's not about feelings. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ died for you to assure salvation. And the reason he did that is because God has chosen to save you. I titled the sermon this morning, I hope you're not offended, Did God Choose Me? How do you know? See, it's one of the questions that come up. Augustine, one of our great writers from the early day, our fathers in the priesthood, back in serving the church early, said this, grace came into the world so that those who were predestined before the world might be chosen out of the world. And God saves some and gives grace more to some than they deserve, but never any less. When we begin to think about what it means to be chosen, I've taken you to Romans chapter 9, a controversial passage for many that want to deal on a topic of predestination. I'm not going to focus on proaridzo or prognoscos, the terms that deal with foreknowledge and predestination. I'm going to deal with election the process of how God, before the foundations of the world, assures that those of us who are his children will be with him forever. Yes, the terms can be tough, but in Romans chapter 9, let me begin, if I can, as we're reading in verse 6. Romans chapter 9, Paul, in his deep concern for Israel and our victory that we have in Christ and what happens to those who are not, he responds, if I pick up the argument in verse 6 of chapter 9, says this, It is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise as regarded as descendants. 
For this is the word of promise. As Scripture says, this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but there was also Rebekah when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet even born and had not done anything good or bad, so that the purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. As it is said in Scripture, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? Far from it. For he who has said to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will show compassion to whomever I show compassion. So then it does not depend on the person who wants it, nor the one who runs, if you wish, away from it. It depends on God who has mercy. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to take you on a journey through some teachings of what it means in election. How is it that God, before the foundations of the world, has a plan in which those of us who are his children will be told the truth? You have all kinds of questions that I hope I will answer along the way, and I can't do a sermon on election just one time and cover the entire concept. So hold on tight. I'll race as fast as I can. I'll flood you with a bunch of scriptures, and I hope at the end you will simply say, Thank you, God, for choosing me. That's what I want you to get. But as we look through the Old Testament, let me take you on a journey about election because predestination, proerizo, is never used in Scripture in the New Testament. Back to its terms in the Old, we'll look at several of them, ever used to just a plan or a group, but it is always used to individuals of people. When we talk about God electing people or predestining things, he's dealing with people. God has a plan that he's going to bring about, and that plan includes people. This morning, I want to ask you something, regardless of where you stand on the issue. I do want you to understand one thing. Whether you grasp election, predestination, foreknowledge, or even the whole concept of sanctification, you don't have to grasp that in its entirety to be saved. Just like I would encourage you, I love Presbyterian understanding and structure of the church. I love the sovereignty of God. I understand where we are as a church, but I will also tell you, you don't have to be Presbyterian in order to be saved. (laughs) These are the deep truths of God's word. They're choices that we get throughout scripture and people wrestle with them throughout. The important question is this, am I saved? Am I part of God's plan? Am I raising my children for a future understanding of spending eternity with the Father? Or is this only a part-time job in which my children that I've raised and invested in will spend eternity in hell, separated? Am I really raising my children to spend eternity with the Father or not? How do I know? So here we go on the journey. It all begins with Adam and Eve. They've started a lot of the problems we face in life. And it's Adam and Eve, clear back in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, we realized they did not run back to God. To understand the process of election and God reaching out to us begins at the very beginning when we realized that when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't run to God, they what? Ran from God. Sin is what separates us. It puts us on a journey away from God, and there is no way to ever be brought back to God until God reaches out to bring you to Him, which is what we see in the early story, is He reached back out to Adam and Eve. 
It doesn't stop there. I could take you on the journey to Noah when God reached out. You can go back and look at the words. Hayin is the word in Hebrew that is used to talk about God's favor that he shows on others or that he blesses. And in Genesis chapter 6, when he found favor and chose one individual, he chose Noah and his family over all the other families in the world. We were told it is because of sin. Well, let me ask you this. If Noah was saved and it was only because of the lack of sin, was Noah a sinless person? Absolutely not. It was because Noah was chosen by God. And God found favor on him, his family. So we find it in Genesis 12 through 17, when Abraham, who was an idol-worshiping family who came from Ur of the Chaldeans, known as what we would call today all the Eastern philosophical religions. You could find all that in the Canaanite worships and all the gods that were created in Abram's day, even his father. We learn later on in Joshua that they had worshiped in a idol-worshiping family, and out of the middle of nowhere, Abraham is chosen by God. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, it is Abraham that's chosen that God covenants with, and he uses the word yada, which is the word again to find favor, to know, or for love with blessing. So he chooses Abraham because he for loved, brought close, and wanted to bless. Oh, I could go on on the journeys with you. Exodus 33, we are told when it comes to Moses that God knew Moses for love. God loved. He knew ahead of time. The same word that is used, he knew Moses even before he chose him. We begin to paint this picture in Scripture as we just learned here in Romans that not only has God chosen these others, but it came to Isaac and Ishmael, one over the other. Isaac, known as the child of promise. If you're saved today, it is not because you've inherited a fleshly inheritance of the father Abraham. It's because you are a children of promise. You are a child that is coming to the covenant with God, and anyone who confesses sin, believes in their heart that God's raised him from their dead, calls upon Jesus to be saved, you become a child of promise through Abraham, and more specifically, through Isaac. This morning you ask, am I chosen by God? Are you a child of promise? Have you confessed your sins? Have you called upon the name of Jesus Christ? We also find out it's not just Isaac and Ishmael, but remember even Isaac, when he married Rebekah, they had children. Romans tells us that they had twins. Born at the same time, foot comes out, one goes back in. You know the story, tie a ribbon around one, let's remember who's what. And even amidst all the issues that happened, we have the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob becomes the one chosen for the birthright, not Esau. All of a sudden, as we begin to go through these stories over and over again, we realize that here it is, when we write in Romans 9, Moses says this, back in Exodus, also here in Romans 9, that God has the right to say this, I will have mercy on whom I want. Do you remember what mercy actually means? Remember we had said it before, that grace is getting what you don't deserve, and what was mercy? 
not getting what you do deserve. And when we talk about a God of mercy and that God has the right to have mercy on whom he wants to, he has the right to say, I know you deserve hell. I know you deserve eternal separation from me. I know your sin has separated from me. I know your heart is far from me. I know you want to be wayward. I know you want to live your own life. And I know you deserve to spend eternity in hell separated from me, but I choose to be merciful to you. The question comes, but because God chooses to be merciful to one, does that necessitate him being merciful to all? Remember, we've said this before, there's nobody in hell that does not get what they deserve, nor do they not get what they want. There will be no one in hell that didn't get to hell because they didn't want to go to hell. And there will be no one in heaven who is in heaven that did not want to go to heaven. When we begin to think about election and all that God is doing, we get into these fancy words about bahar, which means to bring near, or the agarhab, or the adjective bahir, the words for chosen, the words for bringing close, the words for being brought near. These are all the words that are used by God specifically to individuals even before they're born. Before the twins ever came out, before they had ever accomplished anything, before any good or bad could be decided, it is never based on our works or what we will become. The choice of God is because of His sovereign will and love for you. He even said to Jeremiah in 1.5, even before I formed you or even before you were in your mother's womb, I chose you. Boy, that brings up all kinds of questions I've been asked over the years. What happens to children when they die? Or what happens to the children that haven't even been born? Folks, you're asking the person the wrong questions. I have answers for just about anything, but I don't have answers for those. I can only point you to Scripture and simply say this. In my own personal understanding, I believe in Matthew. It's the only gospel that talks about the angels beholding the face of children. It's the only one we get because Matthew's the gospel that when Caesar sends them out to kill all the little children and the moms are crying out in pain and suffering, he's the one that writes that don't worry about it. The angels behold the face of these children, that nothing can happen to the children that belong to God. Folks, I wish I could promise every one of you a debate that could rage forever, that if your child dies before they have a chance to make a public profession of faith, I wish I could tell you what their heart was. The one thing I do know is I can't tell you what the omnipotent will of God is. I've come to believe wholeheartedly that God would never allow anything to happen to his children that he says he has not already approved in or out of the womb. Oh, please don't hear me say that we should have the right to do what we want. But what I would encourage you is that you should never doubt that even before they're in the womb, if they belong to God, even what happens in the womb does not change where they go. The sovereign will of God goes beyond our understanding of what even happens here on earth. It goes back even before the foundations of the world, where Romans chapter 8 with proerizo and progenosco, the words for foreknowledge and forelove and to predestine, goes back to saying this took place even before we were created. 
I couldn't give you the sermon on it today, whether you're supralapsarian or infralapsarian. These are theological terms of whether or not you believe the created will of God came before or after the concept of his will for sin. Did he predestine us before sin or after sin? Was the world created first and then the plan of salvation comes in? For those of you who want to go to seminary, that's what you get to decide. But here this morning, it's election. You see, we want to get caught up in the deep things because we don't have the answers we want, and we want to get sidetracked. And you know what Satan does? He never understands these things. And so you know what happens? Is he gets us sidetracked on all kinds of other things so that we don't get to the truth of what God's really doing. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. This isn't a godly hate. You could actually reword these with the same words of Ahab that is used to say, Jacob I chose, and Esau I didn't choose. All of a sudden, the New Testament comes into play. Why? Because Jonah makes it clear. Jonah chapter 2 simply says this, salvation is from who? The Lord. When we talk about election, that's what we're talking about. Who does salvation really belong to? If we were to turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20 is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And we get a wonderful story about how God brings people to himself over the 11 hours of a day. And how people are brought in at different times of the hour. And how he pays all the people the same wage at the end. And some are very upset because the ones who didn't work as long got paid the same thing. And the question is asked in the parable... Does God have to treat us all the same? Does he not have the right to be more gracious to some? And when he is, he owes it to all? Do you see, in our finite minds, we want to say, well, God is not fair. I'm glad God is not fair. I'm glad he is what? Just. I'm glad he is a God who does the right thing. Because if he gave me what was fair, I would spend eternity where? In hell. Because that's what I deserve. That's what my works have shown since I've been born. If I was one of those twins that came out and I had a ribbon tied around mine and pushed back in and then came out later, I would realize that if you're basing my salvation on the works of Jerry Strait, then I have to be honest. I will spend eternity separated from the Father in hell. But save God's sovereign mercy. He's chosen me. Oh, I can't tell you the beforehand of it, but I can tell you Eutychia, the word for the Greek word for God's good pleasure in revealing God's independent sovereign will, is the word that is used when God's talking about his having pleasure on those of us, revealing his will in our lives. That's what election is really all about. It's going back to this Adam and realizing that depraved sinners have no ability to respond. They're unresponsive to any spiritual initiative at all. Folks, if you're here this morning and you're lost and you don't want to hear the truth, I'm concerned. I like how one person put it over the years of all the evangelism conferences and invitations. If you grew up in a Baptist church like I did, you always knew at the end of the service there would be a what? There would, a what? An altar call an invitation, a time of response, a bowing before the Father. And it would be here that we would listen to the responses that were made over and over again. But it would also be during that time that the pastor would say sometimes, let's just sing one more stanza. And he would put that gaze across the room, as you know what I'm talking about if you grew up in a Baptist church. 
And when the pastor said one more stanza and he started looking, what would you do? <laughs> Check your wallet, even make it look like, oh, I forgot to tithe today. And make it look like it was something serious. Or if he began to say, I really think the Spirit is moving in this place. There's some people that need to make a decision. Four or five would get up and go use the restroom. Because all of a sudden, when we begin to think about the fact that, wait a minute, something's being said to me, and I've never heard this this way before, and you start getting antsy. Is he talking to me? I mean, is, is that Bible passage applying to me? Is he saying that I'm the one that needs to confess my sin? I mean, the way that I raised my kids, he's, is, he now, is he saying that the way that I treat my spouse and my kids is not right in here? I mean, that I was supposed to be tithing all this time to him? That I, I mean, I was supposed to be submitting to him and not ruling over this? That, and folks, all these things that not one thing was said in the sermon, but all of a sudden you're convicted of all these things that are going on in life. That is not the work of the pastor. Do you know who that's the work of? The electing, wonderful mercy of God. To let you know for the first time in your life, when you feel that nudge and you feel that push, and your conscience starts to turn and your heart starts to give in and you start to sweat, is to say, I think God's chosen me. Because he promised from before the foundations of the world the salvation that was planned the conviction that was come through the Holy Spirit and the provision that was made by Jesus Christ all comes together at one point when God chooses you and makes it known. And until then, you'll run from God. Oh, we get it throughout scriptures, electos, which is the word for chosen or the word we get elect, is used in John chapter 5 when Jesus himself was writing, and he said this, the Son gives life to whomever he pleases to give it. He actually goes on in John chapter 13, he says, I know those of you whom I have chosen. He referred to Judas one time and amongst the disciples that he chose, and he even said this, Judas, why don't you go and do what your father, the devil, has you to do? Do you see, even hanging out in the 12 and even serving Jesus on the side, being in the church, doesn't guarantee salvation. Did you realize you can be a member of the Church of Grace here in Davidsonville and not be saved? Did you know that could happen? Did you know that could happen to you? It's not just everybody else. Did you join the church because that's what your spouse wanted to do? Did you join the church because your family was here? Did you come to the church because it was the place everybody you knew is warm and welcoming and this is the place you like to be? Or did you come to the church to join because you're part of the union with Christ? You've been justified, set aside by Christ. His Holy Spirit is in your heart. This is the place he has you because this is the place he's called you to be. This is the place he's chosen for your life to come. John chapter 10, let me take you on a quick journey through the shepherd sheep parable that we get. It's very clear in John chapter 10. You can go back there, turn there if you want to listen to the story in the gospel of John. He writes to us and he simply says, to understand this election, you must understand what Jesus says. John chapter 10, the shepherd and the sheep. Let me give you a few hints here. Number one, if you go to chapter 10, the sheep is there. We are told that we are specifically given by the Father. Look at verse 29 of chapter 10. It simply says, 
this. Uh, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and nobody can snatch them from my hand. Write this down. Election. Am I chosen by God? Have you been given to the Son by God? Your gift, it comes out very specifically, eklegomai, which is the word for choose or select, and the disciples of John goes further to say that even Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me will come. It's the imperative. It will happen. God cannot be wrong, and if he has chosen you before the foundations of the world, it's only a matter of time till the Holy Spirit convicts, until the death of Jesus Christ achieves all that was planned for you. D.A. Carson writes it this way. I like what he puts. Put this down. I don't quote a lot of people, but I thought this was amazing. He says this, we are sheep in purpose before we are ever sheep in practice. We are sheep in purpose before we are ever sheep in practice. We are not a bunch of sheep that begin to practice the right things and work our way into God's purpose. We are sheep practicing because God has already purposed us to accomplish. It's not just that we were gift. Number two, verse 11 and 15 reminds us that the salvation is achieved for these sheep. You can go on in verse 11. We said here in the same chapter, I'll make you go back and read all of these. I'll let you go back and do that. But second of all, when Jesus died on the cross, he achieved salvation for these sheep. He doesn't say that I provided an opportunity that if you want to be saved, you can be. And I didn't give my life as a 50-50 chance that you might come. I simply gave my life to achieve what the Father gave to me. And he gave to me these people. I died on the cross for those people, and they will be saved. I will lose none of them. Jesus' death was perfect. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize Jesus died for you. We also know that it says here in the same passage, verse 3, 14, 27, I'll let you read them, that Jesus knows his own sheep. You belong to him. Let me ask you this question. Do you know the Father? More importantly, does the Father know you? I remember when the story was first shared about all the important people in the world and people claimed the presidents and all the, oh, I've met the president. Oh, the president knows you? Well, no, I mean, I know the president. It's a big difference, isn't it? I remember meeting some of the great speakers growing up. I remember the first time I met Adrian Rogers. I was out in Bellevue Baptist in Tennessee, and I think I've told you the story. When he reached out to shake my hand, he's a big guy. It was a football player. If you didn't know it, Love Worth Finding Ministries, he's still on. He reached down to shake the hand of some of the seminary students, and I felt this real awe-inspiring. He wanted to pray for me. But I remember him in the same sense going over and over again, sharing with all of us the importance of knowing his sheep and knowing them by name, and Adrian Rogers wanting to pray to bring us all in, and I thought to myself, I know Adrian Rogers. But if you asked Adrian Rogers if he knew Jerry Strait, I'd have been one of them seminary students that he prayed for. Does God know you? Are you in the book of life? 
You see, these are the questions that come. Because not only does know a sheep, listen to verse uh, 4 and 27, is even more important, is my sheep know my voice and they follow me. I like how it says it in verse 26. If I can read this for just a moment, in verse 26, uh, he says this, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Circle that, keep that, underline that verse, because we would think he would say the opposite and say this, you are not my sheep because you do not believe. But that's not the priority. You do not believe because what? You are not my sheep. It's the sheep that become enlightened, that come to know the truth, that become revealed his will, and that's why they're sheep in purpose before in practice. Oh, God makes it clear as we begin to think of election. He even says this in verse 16, I have sheep of another fold. Isn't that amazing? That he's already telling you that there are other people that are going to be saved, that are going to be brought in, that he already has planned. They just haven't come in yet. The understanding of election that God knows and God purposes. Oh, if you're here this morning, it gets so deep that we all of a sudden begin to realize that when it comes to being all of these issues of God's children, Acts chapter 13, we are even told this when we go through the gospel and the church planting, that all that were appointed to salvation were brought in. It's an amazing word that is used, the verb from tasa, which means to appoint or ordain. All that were ordained or appointed will come in. You might be asking yourself, well, how do I do that? Let me ask you this morning, of all these things we learn from the sheep, they hear Jesus Christ, they know Jesus Christ, they believe in Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus Christ, follow Jesus Christ, and love the shepherd. Is that you? Are you chosen by God? Could you say that's how you feel? That you love, trust, believe? You follow, hear his voice? Again, whether or not it's pro-aridzo, pro-gnosko, pro-assesto, or eklage, all these words that are used for foreloving, foreknowing, predestinating, all these terms that come about is simply down to the purpose of God and His selection and that it might stand. It does not depend on man's will. Romans chapter 9, we read it in verse 16 as it follows when he says, So then it does not depend on the person, you or me, who wants this, or on the person who runs from this. It depends on God. Jeremiah 18. As you know, Jeremiah was chosen in the wo- before he was even in the womb. But it's later on in Jeremiah 18 that we get the story of the potter and the clay. When he simply says, does the potter not have the right to make from the same lump of clay one for honor and one for dishonor. More importantly, what right do you have to ask the potter? I like how Clark Pinnock said it in his writings when he said, why must an all-perfect God 
even have to answer the feeble-minded creature that he created. Where are you this morning? Let me bring it to a conclusion, if I can, about what is election and how Scripture is full of the opportunities to prove to you that salvation is up to God. Why do we pray for people to be saved if they could do it on their own? Why do we pray for God to work in their hearts if they could make the change on their own? Why do we pray that God would reveal his will if it's our will that can supplant his? We live in a world that we realize our future is totally dependent on who? On God. His grace and his mercy. Yes, you still must believe. Galatians chapter 2 is a wonderful writing of Paul when he shares with us quickly, and I'll bring to a close for you where it is in his life and how he wrestled with this. It began in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Even Paul realized it was in the womb of his mother that the plan came about. Galatians 2 simply says this, Galatians 2.20, you probably know it as well as any, when he writes this and says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by flesh, or in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me quickly say this. Listen, going backward, first of all, he was united with the Savior. He was crucified with Christ. You want to know whether or not you're chosen? These must be true of you. Are you in union with Christ? Have you been crucified with Christ? Second of all, he says that Christ lives in me. Have you been regenerated? Have you been changed? Has your heart been stirred? Have you been made alive? Are you a new creation? All the terms that we get, Paul simply says, look, if you're chosen by God, it doesn't matter eternity past. Election matters now. Are you in union with Christ? Have you been regenerated? Have you been personally justified by Christ? Listen to what he says. I live by faith in the Son of God. Being justified in his righteousness, not our own. And finally, he says at the beginning, I am personally loved by God. When he simply says, he who loved me. Are you loved by God? Do you love him? When we bring it back to the end, to be elect is to be aware that God has fixed his love on you. If we were to make it personal, let me say it this way. He fixed his love on me. He's called me. And he's given me a new name. And he's written that name in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, for whom he has foreknown, he has predestined. Whom he's predestined, he's called. Whom he's called, he's justified. And whom he's justified, he will what? Glorify. Oh, election, folks, please. It is not a doctrine to rebuttal the world. Election 
is the doctrine to comfort the children of God. It is a doctrine to be discussed after a person comes to faith, not before. Election is an understanding that we find assurance. Why? Because the Bible tells us and shows us that it is God's love for us even before the foundations of the world. He loved me. He chose me. He pursued me. He bought me, and then he brought me to Jesus Christ. If I can read in closing from Timothy, Paul writes young Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he writes a passage that simply says this. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by Jesus Christ. Election. Have I been chosen by God? To understand its teaching of Scripture, we find so much comfort for the children of God because before the foundations of the world, God loved you. And you can now say yes. I have been chosen by God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for helping us to realize that being chosen is not something we choose, when we choose, or how we choose. It's not something we look down the road as to when it'll happen or where it'll happen. Though it's only something we understand, Lord, after it happens after we look back at every event in our life, every circumstance we faced, every trial we crossed, everything that we've been through to make us who we are is because you formed and fashioned a plan even before we were in the womb so that you could pursue us and bring us back to you. Father, let us simply just say thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we come time to the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to invite our officers, if they'll come to help as we decide to pass this out. If you're here visiting with us this morning, let me remind you that uh, we're here to take of the Lord's Supper for those who are saved. We'll pass the bread, we'll pass the cup, and then we'll have an opportunity to break together. If you're here this morning and you've never made a profession of faith, I ask that you let the bread pass. I ask that you let the cup pass. You'll understand the Lord's Supper does not cleanse us. It does not make us right with God. It is simply shared in a communion with those who are right with God. And if you've made that profession of faith, then you are invited to come and commune not only with each other, but with Christ at his table. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, bless us as we spend moments together just sharing and communing over your love, what you have done for us, and how we realize this morning you have loved us forever.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we pass these out, we'll have several trays, and we just ask that you please take one and pass the tray along. We do have in the little baggies a rice piece. Go ahead, guys, if you would like to have that instead of the bread. While they're reading that, you will also notice in our thing, in just a moment, we're going to sing a stanza uh, here from the hymn Beneath the Cross, 251, if you need those words. But let me just begin by saying, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's sing together from hymn 251, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. This the first verse. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that as we prepare to commune together, that we too would understand that we feed upon you, that we come to the table to commune, not because we're perfect, not because it's all in order, but we know that you're the one that makes it right. You invite us to come to celebrate now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys could come when you're ready. Take a moment and just pray as they're finishing. He took the loaf and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, we're going to pass out the cups. We ask that you please take one and hold it until we can all take together. And in just a moment after I speak, go ahead, we'll also sing the second stanza of our hymn. Many times we have read together in Hebrews as we studied through Hebrews the importance of the sacrifice. And we find in Hebrews the importance of understanding the difference between the old and the new. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place, that the redemption of the violations that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And this morning, I want to invite you that whether it was in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the new covenant brings us together in one. Whether from the Old Testament looking forward to Christ or in the New Testament looking back to Christ, it is only Christ's blood that forgives. And we are reminded that without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. I encourage you this morning 
if you've never called upon the name of Jesus Christ, that you simply take the time to say, I am a sinner. I confess that to you, Lord, and I cannot be cleansed without your son's blood. I repent of the way that I've been living and trusting in myself, and I turn to trust in you. With the help of your Holy Spirit and his grace, I will follow you the rest of the days of my life. And he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Let's sing together the second stanza of Beneath the Cross. same way that he broke the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Father, again, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, for all the times we have fallen and failed. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together, if you would, the last stanza of Beneath the Cross. Before we sing our closing hymn, I'm going to have you seated for just a moment. Ask Brother Nick if he'll come up. Nick has shared with us a couple months ago and actually with me for many, many months uh, what God's been doing in his life, and uh, it's with excitement and at the same time sorrow, but we're excited as he comes to share with us what it is God's doing in his life. All right. Dear Grace Church family, I would like to announce my intention to finish my service as associate pastor on April 30th this year. When we came to Grace in 2016, the mutual commitment was to serve for five years in the youth ministry. Even at that time, the search committee was aware that my long-term goal was to be a senior or solo pastor. Yet I was so grateful for the opportunity to serve in the student ministry for an extended period of time. Nearly seven years later, through the process of ordination, changes and additions of responsibility, I believe it is time to take the next step toward that original goal. The Lord has opened the door for us to move back to my home area of Kankakee, Illinois. 
and to work with the Northern Illinois Presbytery to plant a PCA church there. This has been in the works for several years as a possibility, and it has become clear in recent months that it is coming together in reality. I'm grateful for the time my family and I have been blessed to call Grace our church home. You've given me the honor of serving you as I've grown in my gifts and maturity in ministry. This is the longest time I've been part of one church since my childhood, and I've been shaped by all of you and by this experience. In faith, I believe I have been well prepared for the next phase of ministry as a church planting pastor, Lord willing. Thank you for the way that you have loved and ministered to Kirsten and Abigail. We came to, 20, to Grace in 2016 looking for a fresh start, and we found it here. We have been forever shaped by our Grace Church family. And I'll say this, if anybody comes with us, that would be great, but we're, we're taking you with us, and we have been shaped by you. Maybe if you look at the real estate prices in Kankakee <laughs> County, for that reason alone, you might be tempted to come. Mm, You're right. Amen. We are committed to helping with the transition in any way that we can. Thank you for your prayers for us. We look forward to the next six weeks of official duties and having sweet times of fellowship and encouragement. If you've been thinking about joining me in downtown Annapolis, there's not too many weeks left. But I'm hoping that a team will, will gather and continue that ministry too. Um, we will attend a church planting workshop in early May and the PCA church planting assessment at the end of May. We plan to relocate back to Illinois sometime in June after Kirsten and Abigail finish school. Even after we leave, we look forward to keeping everyone informed here about the church plant, how you can support us. We look forward to coming back and letting everybody know what's going on. Perhaps I'll get the chance to preach again and we can continue no. to partner. No. <laughs> <laughs> we can continue to partner. That's part of the deal. I'm not, not saying goodbye forever. Amen. But we're excited, and thank you very much, sincerely Amen. in Christ. Give me a hand. Stay here, Simon. Before we, Amalia, before we close, and I want to pray for Nick, and then we'll sing together. But what a blessing! I told him when he first started, I'm envious, as you know, as a church planter. I remember when we first came here several years ago. I told Nick I was very gentle. I kept saying, Nick, I'm not telling you to go, but if you ever want a church plant, I'll help you go. And so when the reality comes, there's a part of me that wants to go, but it doesn't have to be right yet. You know, we can do that. But we're excited, and uh, we have several weeks ahead. It is a process of purity and peace in the Presbyterian Church. So I know some of you have maybe glimpsed on. He's been trying his best, but it goes through the elders. It comes to you. We'll have to call a congregational meeting. He'll be released from presbytery. It's a process. And so we ask for your patience in the next six to eight, ten weeks as we go through it. Um, because we'll have to release Nick from here and vote in order for him to be able to eventually ever go forward. So it's a process. But let me pray for Nick, and then we'll stand and sing our closing hymn. Heavenly Father, I thank you just for Nick. Lord, for the faithfulness that he has served not only with our young people. Uh, Lord, just his faithfulness as he has served the church in whatever capacity he was asked. And Lord, as you developed his gifts Lord, it's become only obvious that he's ready to go. He, he came to be an apprentice for years. He came to learn. He came to see what your calling is. And Lord, now he's convinced. Lord, now he feels that not only have you chosen him for salvation, you've chosen him for service. 
And Lord, I pray that you'll just help him be obedient. Lord, not only for his service here, we thank you for Kirsten. Lord, the many aspects of ministry that she has plugged in to help, I pray that you'll now give her a heart uh, to be that pastor's wife, to be able to come alongside them, to work together as they plant and pastor and grow together in another aspect. We pray for Abigail, Lord, put a hedge around her. That, Lord, as the family moves and transitions, that she'll have new relationships invigorated with her family and her relations with her extended cousins and relatives. That, Lord, being back with family, Lord, what a blessing. Lord, as we say in one sense here, Nick, we support you. Lord, let it not just be in word, but, Lord, let us pick up. Let us be able to support them, help them, and encourage them in whatever it is you're calling them to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The benediction, and now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.